0: So Father, we just thank you for this life of David, uh, who writes most of the psalms. Uh, thank you for Psalm 9. Uh, Lord, He just directs this to the choir director, whether it's a natural man or if it's to the, the source of all music, God, Almighty, the master, conductor. But Lord, he just he's really wanting to express part of his heart, and I pray that we would hear his heart and your heart to us and to our hearts today. So Lord, this is such a critical subject in our time. So Lord, I I blow the trumpet shofar in Zion, Waco. And Lord, I look to sound an alarm on your holy mountain here on the Highland Campus that we might do everything we can to prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, our lives, and in the world. I just ask that you would grant us the privilege of having you speak to us this morning. Speak, Lord, your bondservants are listening. Amen. And the psalm starts in verses 1 and 2. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High God. Well, obviously, David's heart was filled with praise, worship, and passion as he declared God's greatness. He adored God and King. He adored his God and King. And he put his whole heart into it. It's interesting that the Lord had him write, my whole heart. David captured God's heart and God's heart captured David. So that leads us to a rhetorical question this morning. How much of your heart goes into your worship? The joy of the Lord was David's strength. And his passion for God became his legacy. What an example for us today. Verses 3 through 8 David continues When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging. In righteousness, you have rebuked the nations, you have destroyed the wicked, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever, he has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. God's justice or judgment are major themes in both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And Jesus and Paul and Peter and John, they all speak about it. So pondering the Lord's righteous judgments, this kept David in the fear of the Lord. And we need that in our day also. We all need a holy fear and awe of God Almighty. Reverential fear and reverential awe of God is so lacking in much of the church today. And it's virtually absent from our societies and cultures. Hear this. When the church loses a fear of God, there is little hope for the world ever gaining it. David had a deep love for God. And he believed God's love for himself. And we too need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. The love of Jesus, the love of the Father, and how the Holy Spirit loves us as well. We need to know that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And in believing the love of the Father and knowing the love of the Father, we know that His judgments and His justice are motivated out of love, kindness, and righteousness. We know that. Or at least we should know that. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Do we really believe that? Hmm. What about when we do not understand his ways? Do we question his goodness when everything surrounding us seems evil? we have easily focused most of our attention on the characteristics of God that we are attracted to. But friends, all, all of God's traits, are good, are righteous, including His judgments and His vengeance. His way is perfect, perfect, perfect in every way perfect in love, perfect in joy, perfect in peace, perfect in patience. He is perfect in every thought He has. He's perfect in every decision He makes. He's perfect in every action He undertakes. All perfection, that is our God. All perfection. Now let's continue in verses 9 through 20, the second half of the psalm. The Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your Yeshua salvation. The nation's Have sunk down deep into the pit which they have made. In the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. Verse 16 The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Selah. Rest in that. Soak in that truth. The Lord is known. By the judgment he executes. Verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten and the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail and let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. It caught my attention that six of the twenty verses of Psalm 9 mention judgment. And recently, in the light of the pandemic and many other crises around the world, There have been many conversations about judgment, whether our country is personally experiencing judgment or other countries experiencing God's judgment. When people reject God's will and God's word, he usually begins to withdraw his blessing and permits them to experience the consequences of their rebellion. I like what Anne Graham Lott, who's Billy Graham's daughter, I like what she wrote in Decision Magazine. She wrote this, when you sin and you refuse to repent, God backs away. Everything revolves around repentance. If you don't repent and you continue to sin and become defiant in your sin, God backs away further until in the end, God just turns you over to yourself. At the end of the article, and pleaded with the American church for fervent prayer for personal and corporate revival and repentance. I like that we need to understand the second coming of Jesus. His first coming was as a suffering servant and a savior. This is why the Jewish leaders of his day would not accept him as Messiah. They were looking for a political triumphant Messiah. They were looking for his second coming. And they were not prepared For his first. Jesus is coming to the earth now the second time. Not to save, but to judge and rule the nations in righteousness. And when he came his first time, only a few eyes beheld him in the events concerning his birth. It's going to be totally different in his second coming. The Bible says that every eye, every eye on planet earth will behold His coming when He returns the second time. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, He is coming with clouds and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so... Amen. When the king returns to the earth, all will experience the terrifying fear of the Lord. Most believers know very little about the reigning and judging roles of King Jesus when he will rule the world in righteousness. Israel was not prepared for his first coming. And the truth is, we are not well prepared for His second coming today. The Hebrew word for judgment is the word mishpat. Mishpat. And it means judgment, justice, correction, or punishment. And it comes from the verb shafat, which means to decide, to decree, to judge, or to rule. So, justice or judgment is a central attribute of God. He is perfect and just in all His ways. The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 30, verse 8, For Yahweh Yahweh, is a God of mishpat, justice or judgment. He is a God, Yahweh, the holy name of God, the essence of God almighty he is a god of judgment now many of us are familiar with james 2:13 which says that mercy triumphs over judgment yes mercy does triumph over but it never replaces judgment friends the pattern of scripture the pattern of scripture is absolutely clear God deals with us as gently as He can or as harshly as He must. If people are set on sinning, resistant to turning from it, then they move forward toward destruction, period. The wages of their sin leads to various forms of death as the Word of God confirms this over and over again, especially in Romans 6. Well, let's go back to Psalm 9 and look again at verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment He executes. Well, where where is He known for this? The Lord is known by the judgments he executes. Is he known by his judgments in Israel? In Germany? Is he known by his judgments in Washington, D.C.? Is he known by his judgments in Waco, Texas? God is known for his judgments in all of creation. He is known for the judgments He executes in all the universe. However, those that are created in His likeness and image are the most ignorant and unobserving. His righteousness, His love, and His mercy are perfect in every way And the whole universe knows Him by the justice, by the judgments that He executes. Well, what about the body of Christ worldwide? We know much about the Lord's saving power. We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. We have experienced His mercy. And we cry out for it even today. We know that it's perfect. But how much do we know about His judgments? We don't even like the Word. I did a word search in all the Bible references for the words salvation, save, saved, Savior etc. I came up with 455 mentions. Then I looked up all the words concerning judge, judgment, justice, etc. They totaled over 900. Excuse me, 700. But this is another interesting fact. In the four Gospels, Jesus talked about both salvation and judgment. In the Gospels, Jesus used the word salvation. You ready? You want to take a guess? How many times did Jesus use the word salvation in the four Gospels? I hear a hundred. You can make a mistake. Seventy-five. I hear seventy-five. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Any guess? Any more? That's true. But a a number. He did speak about salvation. How many times? Twice. In all four of the Gospels, He spoke the word salvation twice. In Luke 19.9, referring to Zacchaeus. And in John 4.22, to the Samaritan woman at the well. But listen, it is. In all four of the Gospels, Jesus mentioned the word judgment 28 times. Friends, Jesus talked about judgment 14 times more than he did about salvation. Hmm. Let that sink in. As I mentioned, the first coming of Jesus was to provide salvation. His second coming will be to establish justice and righteousness. And since the Bible strongly emphasizes this aspect of God's character, shouldn't we have a balanced understanding of both His salvation and His judgment? Since He came to earth for both reasons. First salvation, second for judgment. I want you to listen to David's heart in Psalm 96. Psalm 96, I want to read three verses 11 through 13. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult in all that is in it. Then all of the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Can, can you get a little idea of how excited David is about God's judgments? He is excited about them. This is why we need the heart of David today. We can't stand the word. We use it very rarely or very lightly and then move on. But we have such little understanding. David understood the significance of God's judgments. Therefore, he longed for them to be released in the earth. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exalt and all that is in it. Let all the trees of the forest clap and burst into joy. That's a lot of trees. That's a lot of praise. But he he was passionate after God's judgment because he saw God is all just. Isaiah also saw it. Turn with me to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26 verses 7 through 9. Isaiah writes, The way of the just is uprightness. O oh, most upright God, you weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O oh Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. King David and Isaiah had revelation about God's salvation and God's judgments. Here's the beauty. It is through both that God restores righteousness to a fallen world. So, friends, let's not fear the righteous judgments of God. But my prayer is that the Lord would develop a heart of David among us that looks forward to be a co-laborer with God in all of His salvation and a co-laborer with God in all of His judgments. I mean, isn't that the place of balance of His first coming and second coming? So let's don't be first coming heavy that we are empty and ignorant concerning the judgments which are soon to be released. May we learn from the heart of King David who, again, Acts 13, I have found David. Here's the Lord's testimony of David. I have found David, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Mm. One last scripture from Psalm 119. I think it's so strategic that we're studying the Psalms right now. Somehow God wants to restore, as it says in the book of Acts, and I think in Micah as well, God wants to rebuild the tabernacle of David which has been torn down. Something about the Davidic heart in the the hearts of God's people. Man, who was so passionate after God, had such great understanding. Saw he loved God's salvation and he loved God's judgment. As we've looked in past. Uh, different psalms. I mean, he he was so childlike that he went crazy in front of a foreign king that was ready to have him killed. I mean, there were so many things about this man that we don't understand, we can't relate to. But God wants us to relate to him in these days so that the tabernacle of David can be raised up again. That men would fear the Lord as David did. That men would love the Lord as David did that men would know the Lord as David did. Psalm 119, he reads this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now we know that. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments I am very much afflicted so I re- so revive me o lord according to your word and teach me your judgments let's pray Lord, that's what we need. We need to be taught. We need to be taught about the holy judgments of God. Jesus, this is building up in your heart prior to your second coming. You know what task lies in front of you and you can't wait to break into earth's scene with so much rebellion, so much antagonism, so much self-centeredness, so much debauchery. You want to break into earth scene and put things right. You see the countless cages of children that are being held for that horrific crime of sexual abuse. God, you've seen the millions, tens of millions of babies in the womb that had been destroyed in such horrific measure. God, you're waiting to break into the earth to stop the injustice, to strike it and smite it, and to establish true righteousness. You're longing to come into earth that rather than people would swear using your name, instead every knee would bow and every tongue confess that you, Jesus, are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, you're longing for your return. And Lord, honestly, we're most of the time we're still pretty happy right where we are. But Lord, we want to be in a place where we're longing for your return in such a way that your heart will beat faster in longing to take your bride. So Lord, we just thank you that through the blood of Jesus, you purchased us. Your stamp is over our lives. Mine, says the Lord. And Father, I pray that we would grow in bridal love. You've waited a long time to get married, Jesus. And Lord, we're just looking forward to that day when we can see You face to face. We could behold the Lamb of God who takes away all the sin of the world and takes away all of our sin. And we're longing to see You establish justice and righteousness in the earth. So now, Lord, I pray that as we share around our tables, that we'll have uh, an an inspiring time, an encouraging time, an uplifting time to share what, what did you say by your Spirit during this last half hour. Truly, you wanted to say something I pray that you'd guide our times of sharing and then you'd guide our times of prayer. Grant this today, Lord, I pray. Amen. Now I know that some of us are more prone to talk than to pray. I want to encourage you, let's have a time of sharing. What did the Lord say to you personally right now? And We're not going to discuss this at a home group uh, four days from now. This is right now. It's still fresh. What did the Lord say? Or what is He saying even right now? And then let's have a time of praying. Whoa! There we go.